welcome to Nefarious New York. I'm Allison. And I'm Valerie. So Valerie's here. She's going to fill in for Meredith. She can't do the next couple of episodes. So we're going to have some guest hosting, co-hosting. I guess we'll just jump right into it, get started, unless anything exciting happened. Hockey win? <laughs> Hockey, yeah. Our boys yeah. play together, so they won their uh, tournament. So that was exciting. I, of course, was on vacation, so. Better. Better. <laughs> so we'll jump into this. You remember The Exorcist? Did you see it? Yeah. Scary right. movie. Um, so that Still was. scary today. I know. Still. Um, in 1973, that movie came out, and there was this scene, and it was the hospital room scene where they brought Regan in. Regan? Regan. They brought Regan, Regan in, and they were going to do some procedure on her to see if whatever was wrong with her was, like, mm-hmm. medical. If it had to do with her brain, right. her brain function, yeah. So they it, they called it a, a cerebral angiograph. Yeah. I don't know, but it looked disgusting. That's a terrifying scene. Have you seen it? I, I watched it for, I mean, I've seen the movie, mm-hmm. so I did rewatch it for Me too. this. Yeah. And I was kind of, it's pretty yeah, disgusting. It's pretty gruesome. Yeah. And scary because you're waiting for something to happen. Yeah. You don't know if she's going to turn into a fit in the middle yeah. of the procedure. It's scary. She does a great job for a kid, too, yeah. like when she takes like the swallows and, as mm-hmm. they're doing. Ooh. And anyway. the banging of the machine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's Ooh. scary. But um, so in it, there's a technician or. Um, a male technician who wheels her into the room and um, he has a, a little bit of a speaking part. He says, Regan, can you sit up and scoot over here a little more? Good. And then um, as they prep for the test, he just says, I'm going to move you down the table. Okay. And then they attach all the monitors and wires to her. As you said, the scene was the most memorable in the film and one of the most realistic medical procedures done in a movie. So the technician in it that has the little speaking parts is Paul Bateson, who is the subject of this episode. Valerie, could you just tell us about yeah, Paul? Yeah, sure. Paul Bateson was born in Lansdale, Pennsylvania on August 24th in 1940. He was in the Army in the 1960s and was stationed in Germany. He began drinking heavily at this time in Germany out of boredom. In 1964, he moved to Manhattan, which is where he began his first homosexual relationship. Later on in interviews, he would say that he was more of a bisexual than a homosexual. In 1969, he had a very tough year. His mother died of a stroke and his younger brother committed suicide. At that point, he's trained and he started his career as a neurological radiological technician, 
and he began working at NYUMC. His relationship with his boyfriend in Manhattan ended in 1973. After that relationship ended around 1975, his drinking was getting worse and he was eventually fired from NYU. He moved to Brooklyn and he did try to get sober and he was doing some odd jobs to pay his bills. So he was like cleaning apartments, Mm -hmm. doing small repairs and taking tickets at a porno theater. Okay. I don't know if that would be my job to make make ends meet, but do what you got to do. Take what you can get. Uh, After a few years of sobriety in 1977, he did begin drinking heavily again. Uh, He said that he drank about a quart of vodka a day. Anyway, so he said that the vodka would make him... Well, so at first he would do a couple of shots and he'd be all like ready to go out, Mm -hmm. right? He'd get all dressed and shave and everything. Take his guard down, And as he was getting dressed and shaving, he'd be drinking more and then he wouldn't even have the motivation to go out anymore. So it kind of made him a bit antisocial. Okay. So, but when he did end up going out, he went to um, gay bars and he went to like the biker ones. They were called like leather bars. Not leather bars. Leather bars plays a slight role later, much later. On September 14th, 1977, Addison Verrill, a reporter for Variety who covered the film industry, was found dead in his apartment. He had been beaten and stabbed with signs of a struggle. Nothing was taken from the apartment. There was also no evidence of a forced entry. There were a lot of empty beer cans and glasses with liquor in them. Arthur Bell wrote an article for the Village Voice about the murder. In it, he called the killer a psychopath who targeted gays. Someone that read the article called Bell, claiming to be the killer. He was upset that he was called a psychopath. The killer also explained the crime. He said, I killed Addison. I can't tell you my name. I'm gay and I needed money and I'm an alcoholic, but I'm no psychopath. He said that he went out and Addison offered to buy him a beer. One beer turned into many beers and they took some drugs. At around 3 a.m. they went to another bar. Well, at this bar, the killer realized that Addison was somewhat famous, so that made him want to go home with him more. Uh, After a few hours, they went back to Addison's apartment where they drank more and they had sex around 7.30 a.m. Long night. Yeah. I don't know if I'd be able to be having sex around something. Exactly. And there are no spring chickens, right? They're in their 30s. And that was a long night of drinking and drugs and bar hopping. Ugh. Can't handle that. Um, The killer said, something hit me. Addison hadn't been reciprocal. It wasn't just the sex act itself that wasn't reciprocal. It was the soul act, too. I wanted a lasting thing, something that would go beyond sex into friendship, a lover or marriage. When the killer realized that Addison wasn't interested in a relationship with him, he said he knocked him out with a frying pan and then stabbed him with a 10-inch kitchen knife. He took $57 and his credit card and passport, and he used the money and credit card to buy alcohol, and he just got drunk and... Wasted the day away. He doesn't take rejection very well, apparently. No, apparently not. He really had it, like, it was a big deal. They kept making a big deal out of the fact that he was so upset that this guy didn't want to, like, marry him. Well, it sounds like he was very lonely and in his own head. Mm-hmm. And when he met this guy, he thought something was going to come of it, even though it was just that one night. And I think the rejection just really yeah. ripped him apart. And I think he built him up, too, once he realized he was, like, semi-famous. Yeah. He really wanted to latch onto that. 
So in this conversation, in this phone call with Bell, the killer said that he had a wife in Berlin who was very simple and a 14-year-old son. I didn't find any more to that. He, that's just something he said maybe to throw them off his trail. He also said that he didn't want to confess because he would lose his license and not be able to practice. And he didn't, Was he still practicing at this point? I don't think so, no, but... No. It's but just I guess a he weird can fall back on that, okay. And it's a weird thing to say mm-hmm. because that limits kind of your exactly. occupation. You're identifying yourself in a way. A little bit, yeah. Um, when Bell called the police to report this call, he had two significant pieces of information that made the police take it seriously. First, no one outside of the police knew about the stolen credit card. And no one knew about the white substance on the floor, the caller mentioned it and identified it as Crisco. And that was used in the homosexual community as a lubricant back then. Okay. So So that definitely placed him. That placed him there. There. The police went to Bell's apartment now to kind of stake it out and see Mm -hmm. if he would call back again. Yeah. He didn't call, but someone else called and he identified himself as Mitch And he said that someone had called him and confessed to the crime. And he said that person was Paul Bateson. So the police, based on that, went and arrested Paul. Okay. While at the station, Bateson said that Addison was alive when he left him at 3.30 a.m. It's kind of crazy how they piece all this stuff together without all the... Cameras, DNA. Like you couldn't... Yeah, cell phones, texts. You couldn't lie about being somewhere or not being somewhere at 3.30 in the morning now. Now. But back then, then, you can make your own timeline. Can't believe half these idiots got caught. Exactly. But anyway. So first he was denying going home with Addison. Um, He was saying he left him at 3.30 a.m. But then, you know, he hung out, had something to eat, some coffee, got some cigarettes. I guess he got a bit more comfortable because he eventually gave a written confession that matched all of the information in the phone call that Bell had received. So he confessed to the murder. So he confessed. He was charged with second-degree murder and pled not guilty. All right, so let's hear a little bit more about the victim, Addison Verrill. Mm-hmm. Addison was born on August 11th in 1941. He was a reporter and a critic for Variety, a trade journal for the entertainment industry. For 10 years. He graduated from Princeton in 1963. He spent three years in Nigeria with the Peace Corps. He was 36 at the time of his death. See, this is what I'm saying. He's 36 at the time of his death. So he's not that far off from us. I mean, he's far off, but But not that far. But he was successful. He had been writing for Variety for 10 years. 10 years. But I'm saying at 36, could you have done that all-nighter like he did? Yeah. Yeah? No. Yeah. Oh. I'm agreeing with you. I yeah, like, no, Whoa. I couldn't have. Valerie. Definitely not, no. No, right? <laughs> no, They're yeah. not, like, 20. But oh. this, they were in gay bars, maybe living alternate lives than they lived during the day. Mm-hmm. So this was their time to I be guess. who they truly were. I don't know. Yeah. It just seems like a long haul to still be able to have sex at 7.30 in the morning. I just think it's a different world than we are used to. mm -hmm. Yeah. This is a little bit that's the leather. This is where the leather Mm -hmm. sort of comes back into play. Yeah. Um, So Addison was... Bondage clubs. Yeah. Yeah. So Addison was murdered in 1977. 
And between 1975 and 1977, six bodies of gay men were found floating in the Hudson River. The mm. bodies had been dismembered and decapitated, and their parts were placed into different bags. I see where you're going with this. Okay. The bodies were five white men and one black man. It was rumored that the bags had wording on them that connected them to NYU Medical Center. So they had a hunch that these murders were in connection with Addison. Right. Um, no, also, with Bateson. With Bateson, yes. With Bateson. They had a hunch that the murders were connected to Bateson. But again, I couldn't find any evidence that that was on the bags. It's just what was reported here mm -hmm. and there. Also, some of the clothing that was on the body parts was traced to um, Greenwich Village shops that were frequented by gay men, and they were like leather shops Okay. that had... Um, they never identified the men. The victims, But no. they knew that their clothing came from... They traced it back to those... To shops in the village that were frequented by gay men. Yeah, it was so, leather, okay. like, yeah. you know, you could picture, like, leather outfits. Yeah. It was that stuff. But you would think that the bags linking him to NYU Medical Center would somehow at least bring them to question Bateson. Yeah. I guess they maybe they talked to him about them, but they could never connect him officially. You know, yeah, and they would need a confession. They would, yeah. At that yeah. point, there's not going to be. There wasn't going to be evidence. DNA evidence or anything no. to link him. So, like we were just saying, he mm -hmm. was never officially connected to the murders. But a suspect. But definitely a suspect, and still remains a suspect because those are unsolved. He was quoted as saying to one of his friends that killing is easy, that getting rid of the bodies is the hard part. So he said that he had killed other people and cut them up and put them in plastic garbage bags. So he unofficially he, uh, yeah, admitted to it. You know, um, He bragged about killing other men for fun. And also the medical examiner in all six of those cases said that whoever cut up the bodies was either like a butcher or some, kind, some person with some kind of medical knowledge. And he okay. did have that. And he was skilled in right. the medical field. So um, Arthur Bell, the one that he had called originally to kind of confess to visited Bateson at Rikers Island and when he went in there he was wearing a gold cross around his neck and he said that his mother had given it to him and that it was blessed by the Pope Bateson said that he could only sleep between midnight and 5 a.m. because that's the only time it was quiet in prison and that they were woken up at 5 30 and he spent his days exercising playing cards and watching tv and he kind of said at one point it would be nice if I had a bit more discipline to my schedule. Really? It doesn't sound much like jail. No, it doesn't sound horrible. It doesn't sound like a rough life. Um, also, the director of The Exorcist met with Bateson while he was in jail on Rikers Island. Now, I don't know if I believe everything that this guy says, mm -hmm. but he said that Paul said, I remember killing this one guy. I cut him up and I put his body parts in a plastic bag and I threw it in the East River. Hmm. And that's, that's from, pretty exact. Yeah, that's from another podcast. This um, director said this. He said that Bateson told him that he wanted to confess to the bag murders to get a lesser sentence. But that director went on to make a movie inspired by this, these six hmm. bodies in their in the bags in the river. So it's possible it was just a publicity stunt, right? That to maybe, link to bring notoriety to the. To the movie. That ended up flopping anyway. Okay, so. there you go. 
Bateson's attorney tried to have his confession suppressed, arguing that he was drunk at the time and that he was not read his rights. He was drunk at the time of questioning? Uh, that's what they said, yeah. Hmm. I mean, he did go buy alcohol and get drunk, but uh, that's yeah. whatever. Yeah, Neither I guess here that's nor just there. his defense. Okay. It didn't work. After only four days of trial, he was convicted on March 5th, 1979. He spoke to the court and said, I still contend that I am not guilty of the crimes and I am not the person described by the prosecutor at all. I feel a great loss for Mr. Verrill, and I am not at all the type of person as he has described me. And he was sentenced to 20 years to life. It sounds like he's very sensitive about how people view him. Mm -hmm. He got angry that that article portrayed him as a sociopath or a psychopath, psychopath, which is what brought him out to, in essence, kind of confess and and bring light to him. So it sounds like he he cared a lot about what people thought of him. Right. He and well, he's portrayed in um, Mindhunter. Did you watch this? I have not, but I, I did hear about it. He's portrayed in this season. And I mean, I saw that before I researched this. Okay. And it fits. So they did such a good job. It fits so perfectly. And also he's influenced or portrayed in two different episodes of Criminal Minds, which I don't know which episodes they are. And do they portray him as a serial killer? They do portray him. As, in Mindhunter, so they, they link do. link him to these bagged bodies mm-hmm. from, the, from the river. In mm-hmm. Mindhunter, he's a serial killer. Okay. So he ended up serving. So he got sentenced to 20 years. And he ended up serving 24 years and three months. So to me, I'm thinking he must have got up to something bad. Yeah, got in trouble in while he was in there. Mm-hmm. He was released in August of 2003, and he was 63 years old. Just crazy to me that yeah, you can. I mean, not that he had a lot of life, but sixty three is still yeah, pretty you young. You still have life, so you've committed murders, you served time, and you still have a quarter of your, a third mm-hmm. of your life left. Yep. To live. Yeah. Well, he really doesn't. But no, not really. His current location is unknown, but I did kind of look around, and it's believed someone with his exact name, with the middle initial and everything, passed away in two thousand twelve, and it. Some other article said that it had the same um, social security number. Okay, so we're going to so assume that he's no longer with us. passed away in 2012. And Arthur Bell, who was the one who got the phone call, he died June 2nd, 1984. Okay. So how old was Bateson when he passed? So if he was 63. 72? Nine years. Yeah. So he was okay. 72 when he passed away. So we didn't get that so long So he spent out. more time out of jail than he did in. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's, I feel like, a lot yeah. of times the case. Yeah. So hopefully Meredith will be back soon. Maybe we'll have Valerie back again. I'd love to come back. Maybe I'll drag you in for the live show. <laughs> Christ in heaven. That's a little scary. <laughs> you think? I don't want to do it. Um, what else? If you guys like nefarious new york you could give it five stars a nice review go I'm to sure they love it they don't just like it they love oh it. uh go to instagram i put pictures up so i'll have pictures of everyone involved mm-hmm. in this case up there and i no need Facebook. to go searching no. she's got it all there for you no need to search no. um i didn't do the shout outs at the beginning but i could do some at the end 
I uh, just wanted to give a quick shout out to my high school friends that I just went on vacation with. So it's Laura, Claire, Holly, Caroline, Kathy, Jolie, um, and Margaret and Jen who did not come, but they planned on it. They just couldn't come at the end. That's it. Hopefully Meredith's back soon and that whole personal issue resolves positively. Mm-hmm. And um, that's it. We'll be back Thanks for having week. me. We're supposed to sing it out, but I'm not doing it. Yeah, I'm not singing. Okay. We'll I'll have save to, everybody. We'll have to wait for Meredith. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you.